have two eyes on. Do you understand the game a bit? Yeah, have a look. I'm not saying anything to you in particular because I know you're not too accurate with your reporting. That, that's what you're okay, paid so you're for. You're saying it. I should resign. So you're saying I should resign. I think that's you should, your opinion. Yeah. Is that right? That's my opinion. Okay. Are you going to resign then? No, of course I'm not going to resign. I simplify things next time. <laughs> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, welcome to the national uh, curriculum. I may have come in a little too hot there, uh, based on Nick <laughs> Debano. Uh, reaction. Remember the Nick de hard of hearing after that. Um, <laughs> welcome, welcome to the show. Uh, you know, I'm here. I'm your host, Nick Stowe. I'm back in uh, Australia. I couldn't be more depressed about that fact. The post travel depression is strong, but I'm here. I'm wearing a shirt. Uh, I don't have shitty audio quality. I'm not in Frankfurt Airport. Uh, with me, of course, is Nick DeBarno, uh, the second best Nick in the show. Um, Nick, tell us what, what have you been doing today? I'm not going to say because you're just going to make a pun out of my last name. That might might happen, yeah. Literally, every time I tweet, I, I it's like a countdown clock on how long is it going to take until I get a notification saying Nick Stoll replied with uh, D apostrophe something. Um, and you, you've you've tormented me now for a week, Stoll. Like you're having too much fun with this. Look, basically what happened was I got to enjoy the show in the comment section with the people because I'm the people's host and I like to experience the show uh, like the people did last week. I very much enjoyed listening uh, to the show. But then, you know, I just, the, the people who were writing all the Nick D puns, that, it, was, it was some of the best, it was better than what was being talked about at the time. So shout out Lockie Flanagan, who was writing some of the excellent puns. Um, uh, shout out uh, Joseph uh Cercone, uh, he did an amazing one. Uh, I think it was Nick Destole the show, which I really liked. Um, Nicholas Webster, we've got an early comment come in. He says Debano, the Nick with the most ticker. No, he that is, is the one. He's that is the, the one that is true. who that most is needs true. the ESPN paycheck. That's why he keeps turning up. Mate, mate, I just keep showing up because I got the ticker stole. Like, I don't let holidays get in the way, even though I am going away in two weeks. I'm not going to let that get in the way. I'll be tuning in from the road. Don't you worry, stop. I'm not, I'm not, Uh, I'm not going to let the team down. Don't worry. You might be wondering. You might be wondering why uh, you can see if you're if you're watching. Obviously, you can listen uh, to the podcast. But if you if you're watching uh, the YouTube stream, we encourage you to do that so you can comment and participate in the show and do puns based on Nick's uh, surname. Uh, Joey is joining us, I believe, from his car. Joey, yes, I am currently driving home from my work. I mean, you talk about ticker, and perhaps Nick DeBarno does have the most ticker of any people on the show called Nick given that he only has to beat Nick Tickler Stoll, that's not very hard. But yes, I am driving home from work, tuning in. Well, not tuning in. I am record. I am joining in from the road, from an un- undisclosed location, which I can disclose is somewhere along Bell Street, just outside Bell Street Fitness, as I pull up at the red lights. Looking forward to the show and making sure that I keep you guys on track because you two do descend into nonsense on occasion. Man, how say, about you? You give nine-minute answers every time there's a question asked. All right, I, I went through. I went through security at Frankfurt Airport. It was a massive line. You started an answer. I went through, put my phone in, got my laptop out of my bag, went, took my shoes off, went through the thing where you got to hold your hands up and they scan you. Then they wiped me down for a bomb test, and then you were still giving the same answer. It was incredible. 
listen, what you get up to in your own free time, Nick Stoll, to enjoy yourself is none of my business. But just, I apologize for trying to bring a bit of substance and intelligence to this ostensibly substantial and intelligent football podcast. Here we go. Um, so so I, you've, poked, you've poked the bear now, mate. You've poked the bear. It's all right. The bear needs a bit of poking. But I will say, Joey, we need to um, uh, commend you for a great interview with Nani uh, that was dropped on uh, the podcast feed for TNC. So if anyone hasn't heard that, check it out. But, Joey, what was your kind of big takeaway from speaking to uh, Melbourne Victory's Marquis Hani? It seems as though he there is a real commitment from him to, well, it, this sounds sort of like breaking news, water wet, but there is a genuine commitment from him to play and to succeed, mm. which given the A-League men's history with marquee signings, just look at the major um, bling-bling signing that we had last year uh, with Daniel Sturridge. Admittedly, Daniel Sturridge was working against a whole bunch of stuff, but Nanny's rocked up three months before the season starts. He's doing training. He seems to be buying in. Um, so that I was most taken, you know, at least either he's been very well briefed and very well media trained, or there is a real level of commitment to playing for Melbourne victory and succeeding and winning football matches. At this point, I'm leaning towards it being the latter. Alan Riley has commented on YouTube and we love your comments. So keep them coming in all throughout the show. Agreed Stolich. Great interview with Nani. And he's just added an extra H there from Joey. So well done uh, to you, Joey. Really, really appreciate that. It was was a great interview. Go check it out. If you haven't tonight, look, a lot of topics going to be on the show tonight. Uh, We've got, uh, we've got Mer- we're going to talk Ernie Merrick uh, being the new chief football officer, the disruptor for Australian football. Uh, Nick Dubano, Disrupt- what else are we going to talk about tonight? The the, the disruptor. What, what is he? What is he meant to be? Dis- a- disruptor. I don't think disruptor is a word. Did you like try to? Did you like mix up disruptor and destructor or something? And I'll like be honest. Together? I've been speaking multiple languages for the past month, so my English might not be the strongest tonight. Okay. Uh, well, but, I think uh, you'll actually find is that like he's actually been appointed <laughs> as Football Australia's chief transformer. You know, I'm actively <laughs> currently trying to reform the national curriculum, and you know they figure out there's been too much Decepticon influence in our football. It doesn't work in this context, and we need to figure out and you know get more Autobots, which is what we excel at. So, so, so what you start, Joey? Be careful. The more uh, pop culture references you make, to be another one for Stoll to add to the blacklist of you know Surely uh, wrestling Nick references. No trans, no no Transformers references. Or we let have Transformers. I know Transformers like everyone else from the movie with Megan Fox and um, who was the guy who went a bit nuts? What was Shia LaBeouf. Shia, Shia LaBeouf, yeah, him. Um, anyway, so we're going to talk about – what else are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about Australia, Australia Cup. Cup. We're, going talk, Australia we're going to talk about A-League signings. Um, we're going to talk about the uh, young uh, – what's the junior Matildas even called? The, the under-18 – the junior Matildas. Well, I thought there was, you know, we've got the Joeys, we've got the young Socceroos. I thought maybe the under 18 Matildas had yeah. a uh, name. But anyway, the young Matildas, congratulations to them. Uh, they won the AFF uh, championship. Uh, and then obviously the Joeys, although I don't even know, are they considered the Joeys if it's the Australia under 16 team or is that only the uh, under 17 team? Joey, can you help us out with that issue? Under 17s and 16s and anything below that generally considered Joeys. Anything from under 18s through to about under 21s considered young soccer roos. Anything above that outside of senior level is the Oli roos. 
Cool. And um, of course, there was the Doctor Roos, which was a team of uh, Australian doctors at one stage. So there's plenty. There's plenty I of teams that, that but... played in that. Oh yeah, there you go. Uh, the Joey's um, had a bad uh, loss to Cambodia, uh, so we'll get into that a little bit, and we'll get into whatever you guys basically want to talk about in the comments. So get your questions coming in um, because that's how we make the show last two hours. A few people uh, are asking, uh, like Laza Eleven, is Yukich still X Files MIA? Look, let me tell you about Ante Yukich. All right, this guy, this guy's done a Cristiano Ronaldo. All right. He's just refusing to turn up. You know, he's sending us messages like the King podcasts on Sunday. Right. And then never turns up. You know, he leaves early. Man, he's obviously trying to like engineer a move away. All right. He's obviously thinks he's too big for the TNC thing. I actually think he's scared because look what happens. This guy never shuts up about Modric being better than Messi. And what happens today? Messi scoring bicycle kicks. Messi's doing assists. Messi's doing goals. He knows what's coming. 2022. Argentina is going to win the World Cup. Messi's going to be declared the greatest of all time, undoubtedly. And then Modric, man, forget about him. So uh, we, we don't know where Ante is. We, we, we don't know. Well, I, I, all I'm saying is that consistently has refused to deny he's seeking to force a move to the official A-Leagues podcast. Yeah, that's it. You know, he, he just, you know, he keeps saying that he's, you know, because obviously he's a TNC legend, you know, the fans love him. But like Cristiano, he's ruining his legacy a bit. Uh, the Homer legend says, I miss Ante. I'm only tough on him because I love him. Lol. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of us like that. Uh, oh, Dubano, do you miss Ante? I miss Ante. We all miss Ante. We all do. I know, Stoll, I know you're, you're saying you, you, he's scared of you, but I think you, you deep down you miss Ante. You know, you, you almost project more and you have to say more to cover up the fact that you actually miss him a lot. It's okay to admit <laughs> it, Stoll. It's okay to say, you know, I, I miss Ante and I want to tell him that Luka Modric is a better player right now than, than, than Messi. Uh, but, no, nah, like, um, yeah, it'd be good to get him back on. But, uh, yeah, at the moment, uh, we're unsure. So still yeah. MIA, but uh, hopefully we can give you a bit of an update soon. But uh, Toros as well coming through. Merrick, the transformer in the, the, the guys. The guy. Okay, that, that's 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 it. Not bad, but you could have just gone D apostrophe guys. Like you did have to get rid of the IS. <laughs> so good effort, Toros, but 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 surely uh, close enough. But still, let, let, I reckon let's get into uh, well that topic. Let's talk about Ernie Merrick, the disruptor, uh, chief football oh. officer Ernie Merrick. I mean, was uh, announced yeah. started last week in the City Morning Herald. Um, I guess first of all, why don't we go to our man on the road, Joey? Uh, what are your thoughts on the appointment? And if your answer could uh, not last until you get home, plug in your mic and actually broadcast that, that'd be great. It just, it just be interesting to see if let's see how long this answer lasts. I reckon Joey will actually be able to come in in person by the time he finishes. Joey, go any Merrick. Well, listen, I can't go too long because my phone's got less than 10% battery. So it's going to die at any second now. And I'm going to go quiet until I can get someone home. get a charge um, at a bell street. <laughs> Um, Ernie Merrick's appointment as the chief football officer is it's it's an interesting one um, uh, and there's a number of avenues that you can explore surrounding it one of the things that really caught my eye is an interview that he did with keep up in the days after where it was revealed that he only applied for the role a fortnight ago um, well past the deadline for submissions um, and just this is me completely ignoring Ernie Merrick's um, suitability for the role itself at this point. I'm just wondering what the process looked like, given that 
How long has Football Australia been looking for a chief football officer? The stories have been out for months and months, yet the candidate that they have chosen only applied two weeks ago. What does that potentially say about uh, the candidates that applied elsewhere? What does that say about Australia's standing? It's it says uh, to... availability is the best ability. <laughs> Ernie Merrick was like, I'm available. Yes. And they go, all right, that'll do. Very good, Nick Stoll. Um, what sort of calibre was Australian football attracting before Ernie Merrick threw his hats on the ring? Is it good, you know, is it good process for such an important role to tap the candidate that didn't actually apply by the deadline and, you know, within a week or two of vetting him and figuring out his vision and all of that sort of stuff? So from a procedural standpoint, it was perplexing. Now, from Ernie Merrick himself, it's interesting in the sense that a lot of his statements surrounding how he sees the role, I mean, he was actively pushing back on the disruptor tag in you know, the initial story by the Sydney Morning Herald and Vince Regari. Um, you know, he's not going to be like he was more a consensus building candidate, which to me sort of goes against what Football Australia have been saying they were going to bring in. They were going to bring in somebody that was going to get noses out of joint and fix things and, you know, have those hard conversations. So there's a, there's a bit of a disconnect on that front. And it also, to me, in that, once again, I'm not at this point removing this from Ernie Merrick's abilities and um, as an administrator and football person itself, it doesn't speak a lot to what Football Australia were talking about. We're going to bring in a disruptor. We're going to shake up the system. And then they appoint somebody that's been in Australian football for four decades. Like, I would have thought, like, if we were getting a disruptor, somebody that was going to blow things up, it wouldn't have been met with universal acclaim from all the entrenched stakeholders like Merrick's appointment was. I would have hoped that the initial reaction would have been some people like, oh, my God, I'm going to lose my job um, because the disruptors come into town. So it, it was interesting on that front. Um, but... I'm going to stop the answer now and we can, I'll get, we'll get to Ernie Merrick's as an individual suitability later. Uh, Dubano, uh, we had a question uh, come in um, from one of our uh, listeners, uh, Edmund Al Young, one of our regulars. He said, would TNC football able to discuss Ernie's appointment without resorting to any cheap ages claptrap? Um, you know, Edmund, it's a really great point, but you know, I mean, of course not. He's an old bastard, 69 years old. Come on, mate. What's he going to disrupt a, a bingo night? What are we, nah, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's just a joke there. Because, you know, I would have loved Marcelo Bielsa to come in and be the disruptor uh, of Australian football. And he's, I think, 63 or something like that. So the issue, I don't think, is um, Merrick's age. But as Joey points out, four decades in the system, you know, he knows the system well. And I think, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people saying whether it was um, Danny Townsend or Simon Colosimo or um, you know, I saw many figures uh, in Australian football say, you know, oh, this is a great appointment, da 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 But do you think it's a bit strange that they've appointed someone who has been so entrenched in the system uh, for four decades? Um, yes, that's, that's my uh, number one thing that's come out of this is that, you know, you'd think with a role that has been so, which which came as Tony uh, Pasolio came in in the comments saying they've been advertising since late March. Remember what was happening in late March? That was just after the Japan loss. It was confirmed that we were going through the playoffs. Um, it was literally, you know, to, to uh, 
paraphrase uh, Ray Gatt in the sense of, you know, being one of the darkest days in Australian football. Well, it was not a, a, an easy time. I mean, Arnie was, you know, being tipped to to be heading for the sack and everything else. And they said, well, we're going to bring this disruptor in to shake things up because, you know, that's apparently what we needed at the time. So hiring someone who's been part of it, been part of the system for quite some time, you can't help but feel a little bit underwhelmed. Not saying anything against Ernie Merrick personally, because I think that, you know, he's got credentials um, and a massive resume to back up that, you know, he's, he's been there and done that in, in various different roles. But, I mean, this was like touted as like someone coming in from overseas, as Joey said, to be the, you know, the big bad. Like, uh, what, what what's his name off... Um, if the movie Friday, you know, uh, is it is it oh, what's his name again? And he comes in, everyone always in the in the neighborhood gets scared because he's going to come and he's going to you know mess things up and, and steal your watch. Like that's sort of you know the thing. Like he's going to come in, you know, you're going to be fearful for what for what's next. Um, so, I mean, look, it's funny. It's funny that you know this role has happened because last night I was down at uh, GMHBA Stadium where Geelong were playing St Kilda, and obviously Ernie Merrick's last role was at St Kilda. He actually formally finishes up at St Kilda today. Like in these next few hours, his role at St Kilda as a coaching mentor ends today. And his role at St Kilda, if anything, was like being more of a disruptor because he's coming in from the outside and always acting as a coaching mentor. And the way Brett Ratton, who is the senior head coach at St Kilda, was talking about him was like, he'd come to us and give us all this feedback about what we can do better. Wouldn't say anything, you know, he wouldn't be necessarily like, you know, coming in criticizing us every time, but he'd be giving us feedback on what we could do better as coaches. Now, I know that's a much smaller role in a, you know, compared to taking over and being in a role that's, you know, in a big governing body compared to of just one football club. But that's, you know, that, 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 that role was more disruptive than maybe this is. So I don't know. I think that um, it, I can't help but feel just a little bit underwhelmed. I mean, mm. we'll see what happens in the next little bit. I mean, he's, um, been there and done that in the men's system and in the youth system throughout the 40 years, you know, with the A-League men's and as well with youth football, with his role prior to Melbourne victory. But as well, we to remember as well, like, you know, not proven with women's football as well. So that's something to keep an eye on how he sort of deals with, with that side because very different sort of environments and ecosystems compared to men's football. So that's something to keep an eye on. But uh, we do have Vince Regari in the comments uh, actually coming through and saying, yes, it's Debo. Sorry, Vince. Uh Bit of a brain fade for a second, but yes, Debo off Friday um, coming in and uh, disrupting things for, for Ice Cube and Chris Tucker. But yeah, that that's kind of the the main sort of takeaways I had from it is that overall I'm a little bit underwhelmed, but I'll, I'm curious to see how it all plays out. Hey, our team is a disruptor. One second, Joey. FB Skippy, Vince Regari more popular on TNC than Nick Stoll. <laughs> Outrageous from FB Skippy. Uh, Vince, great to have you in the comments. Open invitation uh, for Vince whenever he wants. Vince, you have my number, obviously. You have Debano's number, I presume. Send, just send us a text, and we'll send you the link if you want to come on and discuss. Vince, if you want to, Vince, Vince, if you want to come on tonight, mate, more than welcome. Come on. But yeah. I also understand if you want to enjoy, like I did last week, from the comment section. Sometimes it's better in the comment section. Joey, uh, make a good point. Well, hold on. Isn't Vince on his honeymoon? Why is he tuning into us? Uh, uh, look, he's, I think he's. I think he's had a couple of honeymoons, and then I think there's like a European okay. trip that's also meant to happen in the future. Anyway, well, if, he's in, right, if, he's, right. if he's in Europe, it's just, early morning. You know, like I don't know. Just uh, no. I think he's coffee. in Australia. I think he's in Australia. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Let me getting back to Ernie Merrick. Okay, I think a lot of his suitability for this role comes down to what exactly was the job description. What do, what exactly 
does Football Australia want him to do? Because we know the sell job that Football Australia gave, you know, it's a disruptor, all of that sort of stuff. You know, really, and as was pointed out, this was in March when there were leaks coming out of Football Australia itself against Graham Arnold. There was a lot of heat on um, uh, and there was talk, all right, we're going to disrupt things up. If that, like, if that's not the actual thing, like, when you look at, like, the, some of the stuff that James Johnson talked about him doing, it's, it's really sort of implementing a lot of the stuff that James Johnson has already earmarked as things he wants to see introduced into Australian football. He wants uh, national second division, uh, domestic transfer system, and all of these sort of things. It's not so much an act, like an actual disruption role as it is coming in and implementing policies that have already been earmarked by the Federation. Now, somebody inside the system might actually have a lot more luck with that and be a much more suitable candidate for that than, like, let's just use the hypothetical of Marcello Bielsa. I don't like Marcello. If, like, you are hiring somebody with the express intent of having them implement a domestic transfer system in Australia, Bielsa would Marcello, be terrible at by that. by the way. Yeah, Marcello, sorry. Um, Marcelo Bielsa would be terrible at that because he'd have no idea about who the stakeholders are. He'd have no idea how to play the politics in Australia and it would all fall apart. That's he'd not quit a after a week. Weakness. He'd quit after a week. Yeah, he'd quit. Sure. He'd, he'd quit. He'd quit. So something like, uh, so if Merrick is, you know, actually being employed to be less of a disruptor and more of an implementer, an incrementalist, somebody that's going to put out fires and, move the game along along the pathway that is already envisioned by Football Australia, it's probably a much better hire than it would be if it was for a disruptor who's going to burn the place down and have a phoenix rise from the ashes. Um, so it comes back to the definitions of what he actually is setting out to achieve um, when it comes down to this sort of stuff. And, I mean, the, he's effectively the technical director. Um, I confirmed this with Football Australia. There is no more technical director. Ernie Merrick is the chief football officer. There is a performance manager, um, and there are the national team coaches. So, as a Merrick as a technical director is an easier sell, I think, than Merrick as a disruptor destroyer of worlds. So, I think that that's important to you know keep in mind, and I think. These, I think these discussions are important to have because we know we need to discuss what the sell job was and whether he can meet those expectations or what the actual realistic expectations are as well. We need to examine these things in more than just, you know, through more than one prism. Uh, Vince Rigari is writing in the comments. He says next week he will come on the show next week. So there's something uh, for you to look forward to there. Um, Dabana, I've just got a question for you at the, right at this moment. Um, how is my internet connection? Uh, you're coming through fine, mate. Oh, great, because Freya is using the microwave right as I speak, and he's not disrupting <laughs> anything. So good to know that we have a good microwave, and uh, I will be uh, selling you know, these you know, microwaves. FA should have just hired my microwave as a disruptor. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's going to shake up. Uh, <laughs> um, Edmund Al Young kind of asked the same question that you were, Joey. I would like to know what disruptor and shake things up actually mean. Uh, do they mean s- stuff like getting rid of state federations? Um, Joey, in your discussions uh, kind of with Football Australia, that's not what his role is, is it? 
No, as far as I can tell, Merrick isn't going to be relied upon to remove state, state federations. And whilst I know there's been talk, mainly from people outside football Australia, about centralising authority and getting rid of state federations, I know occasional panellist Teo Pelizzeri, um, who used to work at Football Victoria, um, is a big proponent of just centralising things and having regional offices rather than federations. Um, it might be a, a view for um, Football Australia one day they'd like to do that, but I don't think that's a major policy area right now um, when you've got stuff like a national second division in the works, a domestic transfer system they're trying to push through, uh, home women's World Cup to deliver. If it is something on Football Australia's agenda, I think it's very, very far down on the list. I'm done. Stole, you've muted yourself, mate. Looks like we've... Uh, we've... Uh, sorry. I, I muted myself because it's good podcast etiquette to mute yourself when you're not talking. Uh, it's bad podcast etiquette to not unmute yourself when you start to talk. So <laughs> I was just saying uh, it was interesting to read in Vince's article in the Sydney Morning Herald. I think you can also see it on you know Fairfax's website, so on the Age website and so on and so forth. Um, but right towards the end of the piece, uh, Merrick says, people think I'll be a good disruptor, but I'm not really very good at that. Uh, I think I'm better at convincing people of the way forward and collaborating and cooperation. So he himself is basically saying that he is not a disruptor. But Debano, it is pretty funny that Football Australia was like, we're hiring a disruptor. And this guy in his very first interview has said, look, let's be honest. I'm not very good at disrupting. Like, There's not too many times where someone's appointed to such an important role and they, in the first first interview, are like, look, let's be honest, this is, I'm not very good. You know, Imagine a coach, the, the coach, look, I'll be honest, I'm not a great coach, but you know, maybe uh, I'll be able to get the mood going. So, so what you're saying is... It's a very onimeric thing to do, to shit on very... the job description. Like, yeah, yeah. and the marketing, the marketing hype. Very onimeric thing to do. Reminds me a bit of uh, Ted Lasso's first press conference in season one, you know, just like, you know, has never coached before, but he's like, look, I'm not a great coach, but I'm here anyway. So, you know, I don't even know the game. But no, no, look, Matt, well, can we, can we rule out definitively that maybe that disruptor tag is just not a thing anymore now, that now that they've hired Ernie Merrick, it's like, well, he's just yeah. not a disruptor. He's just a chief football officer. Like, oh, we didn't get, you know, who we maybe at the time thought, oh, they're going to disrupt everything. Or maybe it was just the brainchild of, one or two board members who one day just said, oh, they're going to be a disruptor. But then at the end of the day, it just was, well, it's just the chief football officer. So I, I don't know. But um, I mean, maybe it's a very that's corporate thing. Yeah. It's a, oh, we want to disrupt, you know, we want to come in and we want to disrupt the market and stuff. It is, it is a big kind of corporate buzzword. But I mean, to be fair, like I know Ernie Merrick doesn't write the headlines of this, but it does say Football Australia points Ernie Merrick to be key disruptor role. So well, they, they were talking about previously that there was going to be a disruptor. Well, and they, now they're, they're saying... Not so much. Well, this is like, this is the same thing with like when we talk about the APL and, you know, Danny Townsend talking about moves that are sugar hits. I mean, mm. that was said at the time. So now it's just going to, it's sort of stuck now. Like, you know what I mean? Because that's what was said. It was on the record. Uh, disruptor on the record. So now it's kind of just, it's stuck. Like, you know, it's sort of just going to be known forever as the disruptor role. I don't think people are going to, you know, call him chief football officer per se. Because I mean, you know, like, yeah, it's the official title. But, you know, when you say CFO, that sounds more like chief financial officer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even when you abbreviate it, like that sounds like a role in a completely different department to what Ernie Merrick's doing. So, I mean, maybe it's just a, 
a change up maybe just doesn't want to be called the disruptor i mean disruptor is a very strong word like yeah. i mean as we said before like you know that that when you hear disruptor you think chaos and yeah you're gonna put noses out of joints yeah. i know it and doesn't I, I, seem like like this is the thing i also think about merrick is you know, when I think of Merrick, I think of his time with Melbourne Victory at the start of the A-League uh, season. And, you know, he won two championships and the um, team in season two. I love that team uh, with Fred and Archie Thompson and Danny Allsop. And they obviously won the grand final 6-0. And it, to me, it was one of the, the great moments of uh, the A-League's history. Mm. So, you know, you give him credit for that. But even when he was a successful coach, I would never have described him as a particularly disrupting coach you know tactically he's he very wasn't... very calm very calm yeah. demeanor as well never never celebrated when his team were up you know he was very cool calm and collected it's, to me i would say like Ange was a disruptor in the way that he played you know Ange, he wasn't at the time particularly outspoken because he was just concentrating on what he was doing at the time but Ange was disrupting in the in his style of play. Brisbane Raw was absolute disruptor to the competition. And then the way that he kind of coached the Socceroos was quite a disruptor role. And obviously now he's, you know, he's disrupted a bit in uh, Japan and uh, in Scotland and Celtic won again overnight. So that, that's going great. But and I guess this is the big thing for me is that while, yeah, you know, I wish Ernie Merrick all the success in the world and I hope he does very well. And I hope all the people who are saying what a great appointment he is, I hope they're right. I really do. And, you know, he is, and I, Ernie Merrick, you know, has been successful for many years at many different things. But I just think what Australian football requires is massive, massive changes. I mean, this game, we see it. It needs a massive kick up the ass at every level. You know, the, the A-League needs a massive kick up the ass, both uh, men's and women's competitions. Junior programs, whether it's elite programs or, you know, just the ability to the registration costs. And, you know, at all levels, this game, you know, never mind just the kind of elite football pass, which it kind of is what a technical director uh, looks at but there's so many aspects of it and you know as important as it is for you know to build relationships and get consensus and slowly get there and and people always say oh you know we need the whole game to be united it, to me that's just never going to happen uh so you know I, i'm worried that we're basically just kicking the can down the road and mm. we'll make very few incremental changes over the next couple of years and you know, and, and there's points have been made about, um, you know, his, like you said, his experience in women's soccer. Uh, I think one of the biggest questions right now is the Tony Gustafsson question. And that's what usually a technical director would be assessing and saying, look, this, you know, this is not good enough. And obviously the results haven't been good enough, but, you know, you can say a technical director is there to say, well, at least, you know, we understand the performances have been good or you bring through the right players or we understand that, you know, in this situation, it's very tough to get good results. So we forgive you. So we'll stay with you. But it doesn't seem like, you know, that's his strong point. So that's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. How do you how do you think kind of the first 12 months of Ernie Merrick's reign will take place? And also, does Ernie Merrick become, you know, for Australian football, we love to, to blame someone. You know, will he become like, will it be Merrick out uh, when, you know, inevitably, you know, some something goes wrong with the national team? Well, let's be real, Stoll. Is this not the most important 12 months that he's facing? Like, this is mm. a massive 12 months. I mean, we've got the Men's World Cup at the end of this year. We've got the Women's World Cup on home soil middle of next year. We've got the, you know, the Asian Cup as well, potentially, if it goes ahead in June. It's a massive 12 months. Like he's he's been thrown into the lions then and some, so you know what? Like I mean, Stoll, he he is going to be a little bit of a. I'm muted. Obviously, 
wow, Joey, you're very loud. Um, but anyways, I'm going to mute. You weren't, you weren't that muted. Uh, but anyways, um, it's going to be a big 12 months. And, you know, I think that there might be some pockets that, you know, look at him as sort of that because he's the chief football officer. Mm. And that might, you know, just be an easy bit of a target. Obviously, as Tony said, it's not a technical director role. So it's just interesting to see, like, what sort of scope you'll have in terms of, you know, the the overreaching and overarching, you know, view. Like, you know, what he's going to... Is he going to be in Arnie's here talking to him about, you know, what players he should be bringing through? Is he going to be in Tony Gustafsson? Is he going to be in Trevor Morgan's here? Um, Ray Dower, et cetera, et cetera. So that's something to certainly keep an eye on. I, I am very intrigued to see, like, if we trace this back to the 7th of August in 2023, just mm. how things have changed from now until then and what Ernie's done. Because... We've been shouting, so all the stuff you said about we need a kick up the arse in all sense of football, whether it's in our national teams, our grassroots, the A-League, whatever it might be. We've been scraping that at a brick wall for how long now? Like, it, it yeah. feels like it's the same vicious cycle over yeah. and over and over again. Limer of hope, the entire 40 back. years that Ernie Merrick has been in Australian <laughs> football, people have been saying the same stuff. Same thing, yeah. So, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I, as I said, I'm very curious if we're still doing the pod by the time the 7th of August next year rolls around, which I, I, I hope we are, um, but uh, to see exactly where things are at and what, I guess, to use a, uh, a, you spoke about a buzzword, a corporate buzzword style in terms of disruptor, to see what sort of legacy, another corporate buzzword, uh, Ernie leaves or, you know, what sort of legacy is left in that, in this 12, first 12 months in the role, because did, was there a, a time frame on, is, is he contracted for a certain period of time? Is it like a, just undisclosed, you know, amounts in terms of how long he's going to be in charge. I mean, Joey, have you heard anything? Like, I don't know. No. Um, as far as his tenure, I think there's probably Vince Regari when he's on the show next week is the man to talk about that sort of things, given that he was the one that broke it. Um, just this thing, I think a lot of this conversation also around Ernie Merrick, it gets to something that we talk about on this show a lot. Um, is something that numerous stakeholders, numerous groups in Australian football, in fact, Australian football in general, often falls for, is the saviour idea. Somebody was going to come in and save Australian football. Um, and that's a problem because, well, nobody was going to do that. Even, you know, Marcelo Bielsa wasn't single-handedly going to save Australian no. football. Ernie Merrick is not going to single-handedly save Australian football because nobody is going to single-handedly solve Australian football. Um, and that needs to be important. Like when we're having these conversations surrounding the, the expectations um, for Ernie Merrick as well, he is not the Messiah. He is not going to fix everything. And it's important, A, not to suddenly turn him into a piñata to beat whenever something goes wrong in Australian football. And then also in the sense that Ernie Merrick's presence cannot serve as a distraction, a flair for holding others in Australian football to account. Um, he's not there to be a lightning rod when things in Australian football go wrong. It takes a village. Um, so that that's one of the things, like, I think it's important to keep, in context, whenever we're speaking about Ernie Merrick or anybody in Australian football, it's never just a one-person operation. Um, Ernie Merrick was never going to fix Australian football because nobody is going to fix Australian football. The other thing is, like, when we're having this conversation around Ernie Merrick, it gets back to the thing, 
multiple things can be true at once. Ernie Merrick absolutely might, you know, it can be very much like, well, no, we don't even need to hypothesize. Ernie Merrick himself said he doesn't see himself as a disruptor. Eric, Ernie Merrick is not a disruptor as per his own words. But it can also be true that maybe he's going to be able to do a good job. Will he do a good job? That is something that we need to measure moving forward. Like, say what you want about his appointment. Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? It doesn't matter. At this point, the decision has been made. It doesn't matter. The only thing we can do now is hold Ernie Merrick to account on the reforms and the changes that he is attempting to implement. And the other thing that we have to do is we need to hold to account the people that employed him in this role. If they, if Ernie Merrick fails, it's not just a failure of Ernie Merrick. It's a failure of all the people that trusted him and tapped in to take this role after he'd applied well after the deadline for uh, um, applications ended and appointed him within a fortnight. So, you know, that, that, that has, and that's the same thing with everything. It's like if Tony Gustafson fails, yes, hold Tony Gustafson to account, hold to account the people that employed him. Maybe one of the biggest problems was because we didn't have a proper technical director when we employed him in the first place. So there's like a vast swathe of people. And it's the same thing moving forward with um, all things like that. So that, that, that those are the things I've been kicking around with Ernie Merrick. Like he's been appointed, fine. Let's keep things in context. Let's remember how we got here, who brought us here, and make sh let that frame the discussions moving forward as we watch Ernie Merrick in action. Uh, Toro's asked via YouTube, do you think Merrick is a placeholder until someone like Arnold is available? I hope no, not. no. Arnie is going to be available after the world cup guaranteed. That's when his contracts ended. You don't employ somebody like Ernie Merrick on just a four month placeholder gig. Like you just wait until Arnold's available. Uh, the Homer legend says big Sam Allardyce could fix Australian football. And then Edmund Al Young responds, big Sam is indeed good with fix. So uh, read into that what you will. Um, I, the moment says this should be seen as a positive and he has tons of experience, especially with youth programs. He look, does. Uh, yeah, it's true. He does. And look, like I say, we wish him all the best, but. I have massive question marks over someone who has tons of experience with youth programs in Australia being the person who's going to reform those youth programs. Because obviously this is a guy who's been implementing these youth programs all the, for all these years. This is a guy who's clearly thought that this was, you know, this is the way forward. So I don't know. I, I, I don't think Merrick, I think he'll do whatever he does, but I just don't think it's going to be this wave of change that I think Australian football needs. Dabana? No, I mean, that's a said before style. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're hiring someone who's been part of the system for so long, and that's why it does feel mm. a little bit underwhelming because this whole thing was about the quote-unquote disruptor, someone coming in from potentially outside the system to bring a fresh set of eyes and, and someone who can maybe look at it without biases or any sort of potential uh, conflicts of interest. I mean, I'm not throwing this, not, not assuming anything. I don't want to, you know, say that, you know, Ernie's got pre-existing relationships and good relationships with everyone at Football Australia, but you have to assume that there would be at least some. And mm. I mean, we've seen in any job, you know, when someone gets appointed to a role that's sort of a higher up role and, 
you're dealing with people underneath you who may have been your old co-workers or someone that's your friend or someone like that, there is potential for conflict and because you do have that personal side to it. So I don't know. Like, again, I'm just I, – I, I'm, I'm curious. As I said before, I'm curious to see how it works out. I am not necessarily against it fully. I just have my questions. I, I'm, I'm not sold entirely on it, but I, I want to see how it plays out. I want to see how it goes over these 12 months. And I'm just very curious to see – what changes from now until the time we reach August next year? Uh, Hiraldo, big friend of the show, says via YouTube. Again, the main question with Merrick in my mind is what he brings to the table with Woso, women's soccer. Uh, not least when the time comes to replace Tony Gustafsson, 2024 or however earlier. Yeah, it's going to be uh, pretty That's, interesting. It's Go one go. thing interesting about Eddie Merrick was once coach of the Matildas. He was appointed coach of the Matildas, but he never coached a game. He was in and out very quickly. Um, I'm trying to find the articles about it now. But, yeah, there was a very – I'm not trying to claim that Ernie Merrick has a long history in women's football because he doesn't. Um, but there was a brief period um, during when he was at the VIS. Um, he uh, This was back when it was the Australian Soccer Association. Um, there was one point at the uh, Matildas where, yeah, he was going to coach the Matildas before – I think it was – a maybe four or five weeks later, um, he wasn't the Matildas coach anymore. There you go. Well, I hope he lasts longer in this role uh, than he did in that role. Um, I like uh, Cueva Koala taking us in a different direction. He says on YouTube, quick sidetrack, Kai uh, rolls and the only Aussie starting in the Edinburgh Derby tonight, Miller, Boyle, Devlin and Atkinson are on the benches. So that's hearts for hips. Guys, I've been in Edinburgh recently. That's a great city. All these times, all these Aussies who were going to Hearts and Hibs, and I was thinking, man, what are you doing going to Hearts and Hibs? What is there to do in Scotland? Edinburgh is an awesome city. I highly recommend uh, if you're an Australian football out there uh, and you have the opportunity to go play in Edinburgh, great choice. Go for it, my friends. I'm totally uh, on the uh, Edinburgh thing, and hopefully we finish this uh, pod before that game starts so I can watch it. Uh, I don't know who I support, but Edinburgh. Isn't the game in 40 minutes? You just broke Lucky Punning and Heart. You don't know if you support Hearts or Hibs. He supports Hearts? Hearts. Hearts. Maybe I'll support Hibs. I don't know. Lucky, get in the comments. Let us know who I should be supporting. Torres says, yeah, he got injured, but Atkinson was poor against Ross County. So there, Nathaniel Atkinson. Bit of an Aussie abroad watch. Where do you guys want to go now? Should we talk Australian Cup? I was going to say, Stoll, if you want to wrap this pod in 40 minutes, like, you know, you're going to be up against it, mate, because the game does start at 9 o'clock. So we can we can do a bit of everything see, here. You know, I've come back see. from Europe. I'm relaxed. I'm reformed. I can keep this pod under an hour and a half. Sure. Let's go to the Australia Cup. Let's go to the Australia Cup. Um, so we had a few games uh, midweek. I'll just bring them up on the screen. Uh, but kind of the biggest one in terms of the big names uh, was Western United's 2-1 victory over uh, Melbourne victory. Uh, you guys were both at that game at Amy Park? Yep, we were. What did, we you, were. What did, you, what did you guys think uh, of that game? Uh, Debano, give us your initial thoughts. Uh, well, it was, uh, was it the, not the most Western United win possible. <laughs> Like, genuinely, it was the most Western United win possible, you know. 11 players back behind the ball, scoring a goal without having a shot, having that lead for a while, and then 
you know, just doing well to peg it back after Jake Brimmer's absolute worldy. And Jake Brimmer loves crackers against Western United. This is three straight games against Western United and three bangers where arguably they get better with every single tie. I mean, scored the volley in the, the first leg of the semi, the free kick in the second leg, and then that absolute peach of a goal uh, at the start of the second half last week. And I thought at that point when you scored, I thought, okay, victory going to, you know, kick ahead and, and win this game. But what a response. And I mean, it came from, I mean, the... West United scored so many goals last year from Ben Garuccio getting forward on that left-hand side. And his cross to Lockie Wales was an absolute peach. And Lockie Wales had, in my opinion, a really good game. He uh, put the ball into, he put the cross in that was deflected in from George Timotheo for the opener and then made that late run to the back post to bundle home the eventual winner. But that was just peak West United. And they had to hold strong. They really had to hold strong uh, when Leo Lacroix Went off injured. Uh, John Aloisi said it's, you know, nothing too significant. That's at least what he said on Wednesday. Um, But, you know, when Ben Collins came on, they were really up against it because Victory just threw everything at the kitchen sink. Uh, They brought Nani on. He got about 10 minutes or so. He had some nice moments, a bit of skill, took on some players, won a few fouls, almost scored. Um, So, I mean, there's that. But there were just some things, I think. I mean, there's still both these teams are ironing out chinks in the early part of their their, you know, preseason preparations, but for Western United... So they're, they're owning out what? No, 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 kinks, no. It was kinks fine. Kinks. kinks. Sorry, sorry. That's my, no, genuinely my mistake. Um, but, you know, they're, they're working that out. And I guess the big thing is, you know, that obviously that, that this was just Western United playing at, you know, a Western United kind of game. They had it on their terms. So I would put get players behind the ball and attack with pace. And... For me, nothing really told me anything different that they're going to play any differently this season because it worked last year. If anything, they're going to go back to the well again this season because they played a very, very, you know, P&P side with Dylan Wenzel Hall was leading the line. Um, I really liked Reese Bozanovsky in his first game. He's someone definitely to keep an eye on. From what I understand, he's going to have a much bigger role in this Western United team this year. Um, General Luis has shown a lot of trust in him during finals uh, by playing him in, I think he played in all three. I know definitely played in two, but he had, he had to play some big minutes in those games uh, in the road to that grand final. And he started his first game, did really well. And he's been called up uh, to that that camp that the, the Trevor Morgans uh, put together for the young Socceroos. So that's a really good sign. Um, but yeah, all in all, West United are through. They got Sydney United next and victory. Well, plenty of time for them now to go back to the, go back to the well and uh, see what they can conjure up in about two months' time. Joey, uh, victory. They were wearing a very nice kit. Uh, I very much enjoyed their special kit. They won't get to wear it again because they got knocked out. Uh, what do you think this means for them? Defending champions, not the best defense. Is this, is this a bit of a, you know, it feels like everything's been really positive under Popovich um, since he's come in. But is this a bit of a mark against his name? I don't think there are many tears being shed in the Melbourne Victory Football Department surrounding a round of 32 exit from the Australia Cup. You just need to look at some of the sides that Melbourne Victory were running out during their run um, to the Cup last year. It feels like they Mm. sort of fell ass backwards into the semi-finals and only then sort of started to take it seriously, Um, more so with the lineups and the talent that they were actually playing. I think one of the it, it is. Um, especially in this new format where we're getting everything in ahead of the start of the A-League men's season, it is one of the biggest challenges the Australia Cup faces. It's getting buy-in from A-League men's sides to treat it 
you know, it's like a huge, major, devastating thing. Mm. So I don't think, um, so I don't think Melbourne Victory will be too heartbroken, or the football department won't be too heartbroken about going out. Um, that said, still think there's a few areas. Maybe Tony Povich can look at. I'm thinking so that first goal, um, the own goal, the victory comped, George Timotheu. It's only preseason, but now that's the second preseason game in a row where George Timotheu has been, if not absolutely at fault, heavily involved in the reasons why Melbourne Victory have copped a goal. It was his turnover that led to Man United's first in that first in that preseason game, and it's a question because George Timotheu is likely going to see significant minutes for Melbourne Victory this season. Matt Speranovic is clearly the first choice next to, Rod- next to Roderick Miranda, but Matt Speranovic doesn't play week in and week out. Like, that's just who Matt Speranovic is. Like, Brendan Hamill was one of the most important players for Melbourne Victory last season because he would just slot in whenever Speranovic wasn't available and just be a really solid, capable centre-back. So now they're replacing Brendan Hamill with George Timotheu. And, I mean, it's interesting. You don't know how much Timotheu's contract with Melbourne Victory played into it at Adelaide United, but he went from playing over a 1,000 minutes with Adelaide United in 2020-21 to playing less than 500 with Adelaide last season. And he looked like he was... um, beaten in the pecking order by Jakobsen, Barr, Popovich, Ansel. So is centre-back an area that Melbourne Victory at least require more depth? Not going to write George Timotheu off because it's pre-season. To write any player off because of pre-season performances is silly. Um, But that isn't to say that the baseline of trends can't be established in pre-season and we're looking at there. And I'll throw to Nick in a second. But the other centre-back position... I think that was interesting coming out of that game is Western United. Leo Lacroix went off injured late in that game for Western United. He's fine. Um, John Aloisi just said it was basically just preseason. He was a little underdone. He just cramping up. We took him off as a precaution. I think it's been understate. Like everybody's been talking about Nanny coming on and Melbourne victory really finishing strong, which they did. I'm going to pretend that they didn't. And obviously I think, like I said, at the start of the show, Nanny's bought in. Looks like he's going to make a real impact. But I also think quite a bit, not quite a bit, but I also think it helped contribute to victory finishing with a wet sail, Lacroix going off. And just the stabilizing effect, the leadership aspect that he has in that Western United shape and that defensive block, I think it was noticeable that they were missing that when he left the pitch. Hey guys, if you like this podcast and you like footy, why not join myself, Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels and champion data's Christian Jolly as we break down all things footy with the help of the game's best statisticians. Get the ESPN Footy Podcast wherever you stream your podcasts every Tuesday. So I think the other thing to really keep an eye on is just in terms of Melbourne victories, this is not Melbourne victory at, at full strength, at least defensively either. I mean, you mentioned Matt Spranovich, but at fullback, they're not anywhere near full strength right now. Jason Gary has uh, had the injury setback, so that's definitely Negro at fullback. They had Jay Barnett again playing at left back while Cadete uh, gets up to speed. He came on. He looked quite gassed towards the end, which goes to show he's still building up his, his match fitness, and that will take some time. And by the time October rolls around, um, and plays a few more of those organised uh, preseason friendlies. Like they're playing Dandenong Thunder on Wednesday night 
uh, down at George Andrews Reserve. So there'll be more opportunities for him to get his fitness up. But I think as well, you know, the one thing that I found interesting in terms of shape is with D'Agostino out, um, and I know Tommy Urich has had barely played, but seeing Chris Economides used as a striker um, in both games now, both against Manchester United and against Western United, because, I mean, he does provide a little bit more, you know, movement. He's not as sort of much of a, you know, in terms of comparison with Juric, who's more of a, a hit-up striker. He's got the size, got the physicality. Economides is a bit of a, you know, a mixed bag, a bit of an X factor. He can do a lot of different things. I mean, he's primarily a winger of trade. So that's something I think to keep an eye on is to who does lead the line, even when D'Agostino does return from injury, because he had that shoulder injury at the end of last season and played through it. And then, you know, he's had surgery. He's got himself, you know, now preparing himself to get back. But will he be rushed back in from the start or will they ease him back in? And what do they do in that early stage of the season as a result? Do they start Economides? Do they start Tommy Urich? Do they even start Nani as a striker? That's something as well, I think, to keep an eye on too. So, there's certainly, you know, different things that I think Victory might look to try throw up. And they've got a lot of attacking depth. Like, I mean, we saw Leighton Brooks get some minutes. He barely played last season. Um, Nishan Valupale got a start, which I think was really good because I really rate Nishan Valupale as a young prospect. prospect. Um, so, yeah, that's certainly something to, to keep an eye on as we get closer towards the start of the season and, and what they do when they have their full complement of players. And as well, you know, if they have D'Agostino fit too, where does Nani fit in that, in that front in that attacking three in behind, because we know Jake Brim is not going to lose his spot as the 10, considering the form he's in right now. We know Ben Falami probably won't lose that spot on the left. So do we see Nani potentially that spot on the right, just being his the second that he's ready to go to play a full 90 to start a game? Or can we see him potentially playing through the middle and maybe Economides is on the right until D'Agostino's ready? Or maybe even if D'Agostino's ready, they look to try change things up because D'Agostino's best football last year, in my opinion at least, came when he's a super sub because he's just running ragged and running at tired players and, and just being a, you know, just nonstop running, running all day. And that, you know, works late in games. So that's something I think certainly to keep an eye on as we get closer uh, towards the season starting. Uh, the Homer legend asks, here's one, is Western United's defense the best we've ever seen in the A-League? Cuevo Koala responded to that and said, Sydney FC 2016-17 considered 13 goals in 29 games, uh, plus Geordie Boyce was uh, fun. So that was Alex Wilkinson was in there, Ryan Grant, uh, Seb Ryle, I think Danny Vukovic. Oh, Andrew Redman was Michael, actually. Michael Zullo and Danny Vukovic was in goals. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Danny Vukovic. Okay, yep. So, um, and then uh, Hirado also points out uh, West City Wanderers 2012-13. So their very first season in the comp, which makes it all the more impressive. More than just strong at the back. Excellent mid-block when the occasion uh, called for that. And then he follows it up with uh, Central Coast Mariners the same season with Sainsbury and Zvansvajk also up there. Sydney FC 2016-17, the best statistically. But that uh, also said a lot of how met opponents had become with the ball by then. Yeah, it's true. It wasn't the greatest competition uh, that season. I mean, does Western Sydney almost win by default because they parked that bus and they had to <laughs> weather that storm against Al Hilal? Like, they <laughs> they had to weather that storm. In tw- like It was basically the same back four from yeah. 12-13 into that Asian Champions League final, but they had to really weather that storm. One thing I'll say about that is... 
you can't say a defense is playing amazing if your goalkeeper is having to bail you out. And and Ante uh, Kovic had one of the best games in Australian football history in that final. Plus the referee, look, I think I still think it's one of the greatest treatments in Australian football. But the referee was absolutely the biggest Wanderers fans of all time. Like that was a scandal. How much he was on the Wanderers side, and uh, obviously the Saudis have uh, never forgiven him. Um, but just I think uh, just, about, just a quick one, just to, sorry to just to uh, to touch on that about Western United's best defense. I think it's up there, but they conceded a lot of shots last season. I mean, Jamie Young mm. was making the most saves out of anyone last year, so yeah. like they were still shop, shipping a lot of goals, and we actually didn't see that best back four out there that much as probably they would have liked to because Josh mm. Risden missed a lot of football in the towards the tail end of the season and they were forced to play Nikolai Topper Stanley uh, as a centre back at times and Tomoki Imai was playing it right back. But when they have that full complement of you know Jamie Young, Garuccio, Imai, Lacroix and Josh Risden, I think it's certainly up there. Um, but I don't think it's the best at least yet. I think, it, you know, maybe this season, if they, you know, become more of a formidable unit, another season under the belt playing together, there's, there's every reason why they might get closer to that. But something certainly to keep an eye on. Just looking ahead. Hold uh, on. I got yeah. intrigued there. I looked up the saves per 90 from the last A-League men's season. And Go it's on. close. But, all right, quick quiz. Who had the most saves per 90 in the last A-League men's season? You get one guess each. Birigidi. Uh Yeah, I'm going to go Birigidi as well. I know Jamie Young had the most for the whole season, didn't he? He had the equal most. Oh No, he was equal second. Really? According to the stats I'm looking at. Well, he was looking, he was like first for most of the year. So apologies for getting that wrong in the end. But I mean, he was first. So, for like total most total saves. Total saves. Jamie Young had 92. The leader in total saves was Mark Berrigidi with 94. The leader in saves per 90 with 4.1 was Ollie Sale. Wow. Wow. Oh, well, Liam Reddy was second with four. Berrigidi was third with 3.8. Kurto was equal third with 3.8. Joe Gauchy was also equal third with 3.8. And then you've got Jamie Young on 3.7. And then you've got a massive drop to Andrew Redmayne on 3.0. Yeah. Well, he is the gray wiggle that took us to the World Cup. So we love Andrew Redmayne. Um, uh, another thing I was just going to bring up, we'll talk about the other games that happened in a little bit, but just looking ahead, kind of the teams that are left, Western United have to be the favorite you'd say, to take out the Australia Cup at this stage or Melbourne City, Sydney FC? Who who do you you think? Because if you look at the kind of teams that are left, we've got Adelaide, Like, let's just say the A-League teams are left. I'd love to see a non-A-League team, uh, you know, an MPL team win. I think that'd be fantastic. I think it'd be very unlikely. Uh, I don't think that's a huge call to make. But Sydney FC is still in there. MacArthur's still in there. Western United, uh, City play Phoenix. So one of those two teams is going to get eliminated soon. And then Adelaide United play Adelaide City, which I think is the game that everyone's looking forward to. And then Brisbane Raw have got Avondale. So... I kind of Sydney FC, you know, are looking pretty hit and miss at the moment. Uh, Adelaide United, you know, they have the history in the cup, but not sure. MacArthur, it'd be a massive surprise if if they won. Brisbane Raw were poor last season. You're kind of looking at Melbourne City and Western United again. Can you imagine that? 
<laughs> and then they played the first game of the season. Yeah. So they play I, the week before the season starts and they play again. <laughs> I find it very hard to ever bet against Adelaide United in the Australia Cup. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Does does Carl Viet have like an Ancelotti thing? Like, you know, Ancelotti had the UEFA Champions League last year. The beam was like he lifts his eyebrow and then suddenly Real Madrid make the big comeback. Does Carl Viet have something like that? Do you think with the Australia Cup with Adelaide? That what well, like I, I actually want to put you almost what right. Is Carl Viet's thing. I I think it's like it's not Carl Viet as much as like you know how Real Madrid are talking about DNA and when the Champions League yeah. anthem happens when we hear it and you got to say historically look they've won fourteen of the things and they've won it many times when they haven't even been the best team in La Liga they've won it from third and fifth and da da da, da. not many teams actually win it when they're so poor uh, domestically, but Real Madrid do that. Adelaide United, also the same thing. They've won uh, the Australia Cup multiple times now when they haven't, you wouldn't consider them the best team in the country. Um, so maybe Adelaide United, which is cool, I think, if they're developing that DNA. Uh, Alan Riley says uh, via YouTube, Vitz thing is swearing loudly at his players. So I, that's good from an Adelaide I, I just. Just looking ahead, I mean, to the round of 16, like yep. it is very intriguing to see, you know, so how some of these fixtures play out. I mean, by the time we go to air next week, there'll be four fixtures played. But for me personally, if we're going to pick a game that, you know, we're kind of looking forward to the most in that bracket of four before, obviously, the the, the four games on the Wednesday night the following week, I'm looking forward for that Bentley Green-Sydney FC game. I mean, Bentley Green's just won the Doherty Cup yesterday against Oakley. Um, down at Lakeside, they are the Australia, the, the state league. If we're talking about Adelaide as being the dominant A-league team in the Australia Cup, if there's such a thing as a dominant state league team or NPL team in the in the Australia Cup, it's Bentley Greens. And being at Kingston Heath, we've seen a bit of magic there before with uh, Bentley beating some A-league opposition. I'm not saying they'll beat Sydney, but Sydney aren't at, you know, their full tilt just yet. They haven't signed all the players they said they were going to sign. There's a lot of, this is not a complete picture just yet with Sydney FC. And I know Bentley are playing a lot of crunch games. They had the Doherty Cup on Saturday. There's a potential for a hangover. They've got important league games, you know, that that sandwich that that they have to do, they have to play to, to secure a final spot. But you just never know. Uh, that's one game I am just really intrigued to see how it plays out because I just get this sense that Bentley and they've got some really, really talented players could actually be a potential for a cup set on Wednesday. Um, don't think they will win. But I think they're going to really push Sydney FC. Um, the Homer legend says, you know what? I'm tipping MacArthur to win the Australia Cup, especially if they get Rodwell. Again, Davia, De Silva, Azani, Rodwell would be the best midfield in the comp's history, in my opinion. Um, I think, uh, you know, we don't know about Rodwell yet, but i got to say, look, we know that I am not the biggest MacArthur fan, to say the least. I am excited if I get to watch Azani, De Silva, Davia combine this season. Like that actually to me is super exciting. And if Dwight York lets them cook, that could be an amazing, amazing team. I think mm. Azani and De Silva alone could be one of the best duos in the competition. Uh, so, you know, MacArthur, I hope, I hope it works out and I hope we see some really exciting attacking football uh, and you know, what a story it would be um, with Devere. Do we know if he is a hundred percent coming back? Has that been confirmed? Is he back in Australia? I don't Obviously, think there's been any Mexico. official. I don't think there's been any official word, and I don't think it's fair or yeah. right to speculate. 
Yeah. So anyway, we'll see what happens uh, there. Yeah. But uh, one thing, here's a thing that someone said to me, they work in football and they kind of brought this to me. So the Australia Cup, what we want as basically neutrals is we always want the MPL team to upset you know, the A-League team. As you know, we, when you watch the FA Cup, you want, to, you want the League One team to upset the Premier League team and, uh, you know, Copa del Rey, same thing, so on and so forth. Do you think it would be beneficial to get rid of extra time in the Australia Cup so that the smaller teams have more of a chance? So basically, we've got five games coming up um, this week where – an MPL side is taking on an A-League side. Now, if that, you know, if that's 1-1 or 2-all or 0-0 or at the end of 90 minutes, if it goes to, obviously, 30 minutes more, much more likely that the A-League team, with their quality, with their extra professionalism, with their, you know, extra training, whatever, and their extra resources, they're able to win it in extra time. You're more likely to have cup sets if it goes straight to penalties. What do you think about that idea? I disagree. I disagree still. Sorry. I mean, it's... Reginald. Yeah. uh, I I mean, you know, this is the the magic of, you know, being able to hold off a team for 120 minutes to a penalty shootout. Like that's, you know, to do it for 90. I mean, that's that's a resource for complaints from an A-League team, first of all, by saying it's compromised by the fact that we're changing the rules for an Australia Cup, you know, for the Australia Cup to go straight to penalties. You know, I I don't think that's... that Like... Stick with what what it is around the world. Like I know in some competitions, I think what's well, only really in preseason friendlies in those ICC tournaments back in the day, where they used to go straight to penalty shootouts. I don't see it too often where they well, just the coppers cheer. do. Copper America co- does. Coppers. Yeah, Copper America, America has. Okay, yeah, yeah. Co- Copper America do it, but stuff the Copper America for a second. We're talking about about here. I'll, I'm just saying, just in terms of rules, I think that honestly, you got to keep extra time. Like I understand that. No, I, I am a traditionalist. I that's what I want to see. I I like you know I, I like that sense because you know as much as Stoll, you say that you know the teams are conditioned and these are professional players playing at semi professional players. The beauty of playing at this stage of the season is you've got seasoned MPL players who have been through five months, six months of a season, and they're fit, they're ready to go. Right? Yeah. The A League teams are starting their preseason. They're building their squads at this time of the year as well. You know, they're getting themselves up to scratch at this point as well. I mean, West United have been training for, buddy, two and a half weeks before they played Melbourne Victory. And, you know, mm. that's that, that goes to show there is a difference, you know, when it comes to at this stage of the of the Australia Cup. These A-League teams have found themselves to be a little bit rusty because they're coming off their, their postseason break. They're coming into preseason. They're still working things out. They're getting used to new teammates as well. I think either way that, you know, there's still that element of, you know, it could still happen over 120 and it shouldn't be compromised for the fact that these teams are NPL teams. I think it's almost disrespectful to the NPL teams to compromise the rules just to give them more of a chance to win a game because we, we compromised the Australia Cup for so long to give an NPL team the opportunity to get all the way to the semi-final. And, mm. I mean, cool. That worked in the early days. We had Bentley Greens against the semi. We had Hume City in the semi-final. We had some good some good memories in those early bits, but it was time to evolve and it was time to open it right up, you know, make it randomised, make it like every other cup competition in the world. And I think it's fine the way it is. I, I honestly don't think that we should be changing the rules, you know, to, to basically cater for it. And to be honest, I think it's, you know, as much as it does create a little bit more excitement that, oh, my God, after 90 minutes, we go straight to a penalty shootout. 
the same time, you can still create drama in extra time. Teams can hold out for the full 120. You know, if, if, if say, Bentley Greens on Wednesday decides to put 11 players back behind the ball for the final 30, for, for all of extra time and just frustrate the absolute shit out of Sydney FC mm. and send it to penalties, what's to say they can't do that? So, yeah. Uh, I, I, look, I understand your reasoning, Stoll, but for me, I, I'm, a, I'm a big no for that one. Uh, Joey, uh, Edmund, our young says, bring back the, uh, North American soccer league era, 35 yards shootouts. Uh, if you haven't seen them go on YouTube, uh, type and type in, I guess what, um, uh, I really just like American shootouts from, uh, the nineties. I reckon there's so much fun. I don't know. Uh, in this day and age, I reckon they're just an invitation for injuries. Yeah, like yeah, two players funny. sprinting at each other at a million miles. Like that, that's just an invitation for injuries. You said um, any... you panic watching the ho- the hockey penalty shootouts at the Olympics last year and seeing them do exactly the same format and seeing the goalkeeper charge out at the player. I'd be like, Jesus, someone's going to break an arm or something. You know? Any? I mean, to be fair, like if you wanted to, if your goal was to grow the Australia Cup interest, you know, around the world, doing something like that, gimmicky as it is. Ma, yeah. ma, 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 right. fuck the rest of the world. Like it's the okay, Australia all right. Cup. All right, yep, yeah, but but with the greatest respect, Australia. Let's be honest, doesn't give a fuck about the Australia Cup. All right, I think it's the best competition we have in in all of sport in Australia. But the wider we... interest, even within the Australian football public, is very very low. Can we not very just have low. something for us then? Like, why yeah. does everything have to be you know centered around what? Mummy and daddy and their two kids want to watch on the weekends. Why can't we have something? The, the, I actually like, really. And like, I saw Joey celebrating at a football game. That's what it brought out at the Heidelberg Brisbane Raw game. He was got, he was actually, you know, showing some, you know, come on Heidelberg. And I was like, you know, that's, that's nice. It means we have something. Go on, Joey, something. are you open to uh, going to penalties after 90 minutes? If I could make one change to the Australia Cup, my change wouldn't be penalty shootouts. My change would be to take the national rounds, the first round of the national stages, and make it take it from the round of 32 and make it uh, the round of 128. I would be entering A-League men's sides a lot earlier into the competition and more national stages and, you know, more teams and that sort of thing. Um, although I will acknowledge that that is never going to happen because of the costs and logistics and what have you, but this is just me fantasy booking Hmm. for the penalties. I could go either way, really. Like I said, like the coppers do go straight to penalties. So it's not like it's a massive, the coppers are the second biggest, um, in, you know, continental tournament on the planet behind only the euros, this wouldn't be a complete the coppers and the coppers still mean absolutely everything to the people of South America. So I wouldn't cheat it. I mean, the real traditionalist answer is to demand replays after draws. Mm. That's the real traditionalist answer. Could you, could you, you imagine know, if I, like, you know, you had Heidelberg just holding out for a nil nil at like AB Park so they could just get a game back at the village. That'd be cool. Um, so like, once again, that will never happen because we have such a constricted period to get the Australia <laughs> cup in. It has to be done before the first week of the A-League men's season now. And there's only so much time. As lo- In this giant off-season that we have, um, th- there is only so much time that A-League men's sides will have to train. 
Can I just say so, quickly, Joey? So, sorry, Sal. But when you said round of 128, I almost felt like a pit of anxiety thinking about the size of how big the 128, like how many teams you'd need to have in it. Like it's like when you, you see those things about like how you're such a small speck in the whole universe and you're like, oh, my God, like I'm so small compared to everything else. That's how it feels like going from 32 to 128. Like I'm all for it, but, geez, that's a lot of teams. And they're pretty fun. Um, it, do you guys want to talk about any of the other games uh, that happened as well? Sydney United beat uh, Monaro 3-0. I just wanted to, I wanted to say, like, of all the games that we're talking about looking forward to, like, yes, Bentley Green, Sydney FC, really looking forward to that one, especially the commentary. I think it's going to be amazing. The game that I'm most looking forward to in the round of 16 is has to be Adelaide City versus Adelaide United. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like, but that that's I, two weeks away. I was more we're going to do another episode before then. We'll do oh, another one special. Then. But yeah, uh, like that that like as soon as I saw that game came through, come through, I think myself and everybody else were just like, Bruff. like uh, I mean, I know John Aloisi was hoping to draw Adelaide City, but Adelaide City versus Adelaide United is going to be pretty special. What I'd love to know, and people who are from Adelaide who are listening in, let us know how kind of how well supported is Adelaide city currently? I know obviously the history of them and they have a great kind of NSL history and a lot of great players have been produced by that club. Um, but how deep does the support still run uh, for the club? That's something I'd love to know. And that's something I'd love to kind of look out for. Cause yeah, like, like you, Joey, I'm super excited about it. Um, but that's more because of the history of Adelaide city. I actually don't know how much love there is for them. Still, I hope they, you know, get good crowds and there's a lot going on there. But, um, yeah, it's, I think it's going to be really interesting. But I, I'm, I'm looking forward even to actually, like I said, watching MacArthur this week, uh, just seeing kind of how They're that duo. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be exciting. I think it's going to be really cool. And also Sydney United, Western United. You know, Sydney United, one of the biggest clubs uh, up here in Sydney. Obviously, history have produced an incredible amount of Socceroos, um, have produced certainly more Socceroos than Western United have. Um, so it's going to be interesting uh, to see how that goes. A green Gully v Peninsula Power. How do you go? You think Green Gully is going to go through that? Green Gully should, but they looked cooked on Friday night against Melbourne Knights and they got they lost. So it's something certainly to keep an eye on in terms of, I mean, they're going to have a full week to prepare for it and, you know, get their full complement and, you know, get themselves back up to scratch for it. They should win. I mean, they've been yeah. good this season, NPL Victoria. Um, but the other thing that I want to touch on quickly is it's good that we see Melbourne City versus Wellington returning to Casey. Uh, the game being played at Casey Fields. If you remember last year, that game, exact fixture was supposed to happen in the Australia Cup in December before uh, the COVID outbreak in the Melbourne City team. And that, I think uh, by reports, they had sold something like 7,000 tickets at Casey Fields for that game um, at, that, at that point. So I think it's good that Melbourne City are playing in the southeast. Uh, considering they've moved all their bases to the southeast, have the partnership with the um, the formerly known as Team Eleven, you know, group. Uh, so I guess it's good to see that football's going to be played there on the Wednesday night. But geez, if you're a Victorian football fan on that Wednesday, like, how do you? Sp- like, you, it, I feel I, I feel like there's three games. Like, I want to be at Oakley and see them play Brisbane City. I want to go to Casey to see Melbourne City Wellington. I want to go to ABD Stadium to potentially see Avondale versus Brisbane Raw. Can't be in three places at once. I'm gonna, you know, like off Harry Potter, uh, Hermione has that that uh, time ticker thing over to be yeah. turn time. 
I'm probably going to need to invent something like that. So, uh, but yeah, that that Wednesday is going to be a massive night alongside that Adelaide um, that Adelaide derby. So, yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. But I think if you're looking at potentially two NPL sides to go through, I think Green Gully and Oakley in particular uh, are two teams to really, uh, if you're going to hedge your bets, they're the two to potentially uh, buy stocks in, and uh, we'll see how they go. I really hope Channel 10, like you say, does a goal rush kind of program on that night where they fly around the grounds like that. I know Fox Sports used to do that uh, back in the day. I'm not sure if uh, Channel 10 has done that. So hopefully they do. Alan Riley says, pretty sure City, talking about Adelaide City, get, <laughs> could be talking about Melbourne City sometimes, uh, get about 1,000, 2,000 uh, to their games. And Tynus would know more than I would. Um, yeah, that's not bad, not bad. Uh, yeah, I just, I think the Australia Cup, like my, my hope is that it can also galvanize more support uh, for these local teams, you know, that it can be a really great way to get out the local crowd that maybe doesn't go to the NPL very much. But, you know, I'd love to see a lot of support out there for the NPL sites. Debate. Interestingly enough, the game's actually been played at Surface FM Stadium, which is the state centre of football in Adelaide. So it's actually not being played Watch out. Let's see, is this actually the home ground? No, it's not the home ground of Adelaide City because they play at the state Adelaide City Park. Uh, so there's 7,000 seats at this stadium. I reckon they could definitely sell it out because there'll be enough theatre goers that will go. There'll be enough Adelaide United fans, I think, that will go. So I, I reckon it's going to be a rocking atmosphere uh, in two weeks' time. Joey, ben Homer, will, Cup? ben Homer will be hosting a goal rush um, for Channel 10. Fantastic. So Tune in, everybody, uh, and also so not the home of the legends, Ben Homer. Yeah, unless they are ben Homer. I, Tune I, in, everyone. I'm sure the home of legends lives in Ireland, so that wouldn't work. There you go. Uh, tune in, everyone, uh, unless of course you can't because you're watching Disney Plus, uh, a fantastic uh, streaming service, ESPN on um, KO or on Foxtel, or of course Stan Sport. Uh, Champions League and European Super Cup back this week to make sure you watch that. Uh, Joey, anything like, else? I'll also say really looking forward to just listening to Bentley Greens versus Sydney FC, I think, and listening to a few other games that are taking place in this uh, upcoming stages of the Australian yeah. Cup. Keep an eye out, guys, especially for that Keep last an ear out. Wednesday. Keep an ear out. Yeah, an ear out Keep for that last out. Wednesday. There's some uh, exciting, exciting news. I, 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 I don't want to spoil it. I'm, I'm so excited. Yeah, no spoilers. Not even Nick Stoller. Nick Stoller doesn't know what we're talking about. No, nah, no. Nah. But keep just, an eye. It's, 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 it's some good news. I just assume you were talking about uh, Teo was commentating some game. I thought you were just pumping his <laughs> I think I think Teo is doing the Adelaide derby. I yeah, Teo is doing the Adelaide derby, so yeah. it's going to be amazing. So, ah, yeah. are you guys suggesting that some maybe more local commentators in Victoria might be uh, doing that game? No, no. Can't say anything. What do you mean, What? What? What do you mean? Look, what a local what a local what? football commentator. Like, is, 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 is this a local store for local people or something? I don't know what you're talking about. If anyone involved in this podcast is um, commentating uh, an Australia Cup game, please make fun of them as much as possible on Twitter. That's what I will be doing, and I'll be having a great time. Um, all right. 
let's move on from the Australia Cup and let's talk about the Junior Matildas. Uh, they are the inaugural AFF Under-18s Women's Champions. Uh, it's the first time I think this competition has been played at this level uh, for the women. Uh, so congratulations to them. 2-0 win over Vietnam. I don't think any of us have watched the game. I don't think it was available to watch anywhere. Is that correct, Joey? No, yes, it wasn't uh, available to stream. It's been a it, it's been a complicated process with um these streaming rights in terms of the local federation selling them off, and it's 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 very complicated and very cost prohibitive. I've been told. Cool. Well, look, obviously, because we haven't watched it, we can't go into the game in any great detail. We can't kind of provide uh, any too much analysis on it. But uh, well, you know, I'll just they, say. They- they conceded one goal for the whole to- tournament and was from a free kick, apparently. So no goals conceded open play. That's a, definitely a big plus, if you ask me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess what comes out of this tournament, you know, and look, you look at the opponents of this tournament, there's, you know, we'll, we'll probably be one of the favourites going into this tournament. This isn't like we've stunned, you know, all of Southeast Asia by winning this tournament as good as, um, you know, Vietnam and the like may be. Uh, But do you think just looking ahead at 2023, is there any chance that Gustafsson would be open to bringing in one or two of these young players into the camp? You know, Sam Kerr made her debut at 15, I think for the Matildas Um, and, and other Matildas players have made the debuts at an early age. Do we think that there is any opportunities even for some of these young players? I Look, I'll be honest, I don't know any of them. I don't know if any of them are showing an incredible amount of promise. Uh, but should the door be ajar at least? The door should be ajar for literally everyone. We've had this conversation in the past about stratification of the Matildas, about how there are some players that probably deserve greater looks than they are getting. The door should be open to everyone as a rule with all the national teams. There's obviously there's a level of you need to pick, have consistency in your squad and players that fit your system. But at the same time, if a player goes gangbusters, the door should always be open. Having said that, can't see any of the junior Matildas featuring the women's world cups in a year, less than a year. I can't see any of this squad that, I'm just I I don't I I don't think any of them actually have a senior A League women's cap or if they do it's like only a few of them like a scant handful I don't um yeah I don't think yeah like yeah that's not good and not, to be step honest too at this far, point, step too far yeah step too far at this point and like the 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 days of 15s and 16 16 year olds debuting and regularly featuring for the Matildas probably shouldn't shouldn't be repeated I mean, we want to have healthy developmental systems where there's a proper pipeline from junior Matildas, young Matildas, Matildas. Um, so, yeah, I can't see them bringing anyone busting in, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, uh, the Homer legend is asking, uh, forgive me, but was this the same tournament where they lost to the Philippines a few weeks ago, or is this a different one? I believe it's a different one. I think they beat different. the Philippines in this competition. AFF under 23. They sent an under 23 team. The Matilda mm. sends an under 23 team to the senior AFF championships. And that's the tournament in which they lost to the Philippines. There we go. Um, anything to add other than uh, congratulations to the team. We're all very proud of them. 
to this, guys. All good here. All good. All right, cool. Well, let's uh, move on as well, just on this, uh, to the Joeys losing uh, to Cambodia. Um, again, haven't watched the game, so don't really personally want to comment too much on, you know, what went wrong or I don't know what the situation is, you know. I've been on holidays. I just got back. You know, go easy on me. But any thoughts on this? There was a little bit of outrage there, but also it was kind of, I think, RBA, results-based analysis. Um, From the reports I'm seeing, they had a lot of possession, just no end product in the final third, mm. which kind of feels like the Aussie DNA against these lower-ranked Asian sides in yeah. competition. Um, so, yeah, like with... Like, should we briefly, for the people that aren't aware, the um, the qualifiers that have been added to this performance is that they didn't have a coach with them. The coach that was going to take them tested positive for COVID when they landed. Um, these boys haven't trained together for years. They based, thanks to COVID, they basically met each other for the first time two weeks ago and played together. Um, and all of that sort of jazz. So those are some of the qualifiers that have been put on. And, but at the same time, like those things can all be true, but it can also be true. Uh, the the back-to-back defeats that they have suffered are not ideal. Maybe one aberration, back-to-back defeats. They're not ideal. Having said that, these are a bunch of 15, 16 year old kids. Yeah. You can't write them off yet. And especially when they're at this age, when they're 15, 16 year olds, the analysis I feel should always center on what put them in this position rather than the kids themselves. The analysis needs to be what put them in this position. How did we arrive at this point? What were the adults doing? Mm. Like, what were the adults around this team doing? That goes for coaching, that goes for selections, that goes for the people that implement the the things that they learn, everything like that. That needs to be the focus. I don't, to be a lot of people's credit, a lot of people haven't been blaming the kids, but just to reinforce that, these players are 15, 16, I think maybe one's 14. Like, it's not like... Uh, it's not their fault. Like, and this doesn't represent their endpoint. They've got a long way to go. Results at an under 16 level matter very. Just ask Nigeria how good all of their results in junior international tournaments are working out for them on a World Cup level. Mm. Tabano, anything to add? I mean, yeah, yeah exactly, exactly right. They're kids. Like, yeah, the results aren't great. Losing against Myanmar and Cambodia is, I mean, it doesn't look good for the optics, but. End of the day, they've been thrown together and been made to play. You know, like it's like literally like a, you know, just been thrown together and say, hey, get together and play with. They've barely had any camps together. I mean, from all reports, I think this is a new coach as well, Joey. Brad Maloney, I think this is his. Is he? This is Brad, he so him? Brad Maloney isn't actually there as far as I'm aware. He was appointed yeah. after this tournament started. Yeah, so they don't have their their the senior head coach in right now. And I'm, I'm, I mean, as Joey said, I, they're, they're kids at the moment. We probably should, we shouldn't be blaming the kids specifically. The, the, the blame should be focused further up. Yeah. The question becomes like these kids that were put out there, who was making the decisions to bring these kids? What kids were overlooked? 
what are these kids being taught? Um, you know, what sort of system is in place? What sort of kids are we missing out on because of the system? The consequences for results at a junior international level always need to fall on the adults and the system that has been created around the the young players. Weird results. This is why the appointment of a technical director and somebody like Ernie Merrick, who, if he's in the reads, is so important. Because a technical director, the technical staff are supposed to be there watching this game footage and they're supposed to determine, okay, are these bad results that just the bounce of the ball isn't going our way? Or are these problems in the way that these kids are being selected, in the way that these kids are being assembled, in the way that these kids are being deployed? And how do we fix that? That is why technical staff are so important because they can go in and ask these questions. And somebody like Ernie Merrick, it's what makes him his job so important is for the lack of a technical director, a st- like if he's a disruptor or he's having the say, final say on certain issues, at some point when you're looking at the junior national sides, COVID has been a gigantic thing that has gotten in the way, but sometimes like, when national junior national teams aren't performing and the system's not right, some people and like there's nobody to lose their jobs surrounding this Joey's team because like there's no full time staff. They just appointed a coach who hasn't taken the team yet. But moving forward, one of the big things that Ernie Merrick needs to do is there needs to be consequences for when the junior national teams aren't performing. He needs to figure out why they're not performing, and there needs to be steps making to fix that. And there also needs to be consequences for that. If teams aren't being selected, if the right teams aren't being selected, the right players aren't being selected, or kids are being missed out on, um, the the, uh, the the consequences need to be for who's selecting that squad. Why did you pick this kid over this kid? What what why are you deploying the kids in this manner? And if the answer isn't satisfactory over a sustained period of time, if you're not able to map out a clear direction for junior age cohorts, there has to be consequences for that. It can't just be a case of the kids aren't good enough, the cattle's not good enough, let's just bring through the next cohort. Then that that is why technical staff are so important in these sort of things, because in this could just be in isolation, a few bad breaks, or it could be symptomatic of much deeper problems. Knowing Australian football, it's probably the latter. You need tactical well, combination. Yeah, you need technical staff to answer those questions and figure it out. That is what the takeaways. That, that's the important thing from these tournaments. Uh, I think we should talk a league transfers. If you guys are happy to move on, yes, I am. All right. Good. I'm good. Um, I'm going to read you uh, some transfers and you tell me uh, if you like the move or not. The Central Coast Mariners have signed Danny Vukovic. Like it? I like it. I like it. Ooh, good big fan. Give me well, your reasons. Thought... Why, do you, why do you like it? So, we, we've, got got detail <laughs> we've got into detail on this show about how Mark Ber- how huge Mark Berrigetti was for the Central Coast Mariners, how yeah. many goals he prevented that other keepers would have allowed, the amount of saves that he had to make especially losing Kai Rolls and a lot of players coming in and a lot of out, that safety valve of a high-quality veteran goalkeeper that can marshal a young squad, a young defence in front of him is going to be super important. Is he going to be as good as Mark Berrigetti? Don't know, but 
Nick Montgomery obviously felt that he couldn't roll with Yaron Souza as his number one, which is unfortunate. I like Yaron. Good kid. Danny Vukovic, obviously a proven veteran that will get some much-needed minutes before the World Cup. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, he's gone back to his team. I mean, yeah. this is a real this is real nostalgia right now for A-League nostalgia. I mean, he was there first few seasons of the A-League at the Central Coast Mariners. I mean, we all remember what he's primarily, unfortunately, remembered for in terms of the 2008 Grand Final. But at that point in time as well, he was a very, very, very good goalkeeper. And he has been a consistently good goalkeeper throughout his whole, whole career. Um, and the fact that he was still in the Socceroos frame, well, not will, still is part of the Socceroos frame, still says that he's doing a decent job and he's certainly good enough to be one of the, pre- the premier goalkeepers of this competition. So if you want a good replacement for someone like Mark Birigidi, who was as important as he was to the Mariners, I mean, this is probably the best kind of role. It gives Yaron Sosa more time to develop. Might even get a loan deal for him or Lawrence Caruso out of this. So this, it's certainly, I think, I'm all for it. I I like it a lot as well for all the reasons that you've said. Uh, Carl Jenkinson to the Newcastle Jets. Yay, nay, give me your thoughts. I, I'm I a fan of any defensive signings, the Newcastle Jets, Mike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I don't mind it. I thought he was okay yeah. last year. I thought he was all right yeah. at City. I don't think he was terrible. It's a good pick up at right back. He's an upgrade to what they've got. And, I mean, he he liked his time in Australia. So, mm. I'm, I'm glad that we haven't lost him because, I mean, he's also just – I know this is good bloke index stuff, but he's also just a really good guy. So, it's, mm. he's a good player to potentially just have around the locker room. He's a, he's a seasoned vet as well. So, I, I like it. I don't see how, you know, there could be any negatives out of this move whatsoever. Yeah, and like, like Joey says – God, the Jets' defense was terrible last season. Uh, so good to see them uh, shore up that. Uh, we also had a double signing uh, for the Jets. Uh, Daniel Steins and Callum Timmons uh, there. Like it? They've signed some A-League midfielders that you need to fill out your roster with. So, not that's not a huge. You, you're very much going availability is the best ability. Uh, I like Daniel Steins more than Timmons. Yeah. Like Steins again, good kid. There's there's quality with Steins, but geez, he's rough around the edges. You know, he'll but have like, moments where you know he'll he'll do something amazing, but there's a lot of times where you just feel like. Ooh, he re- I think he really needs a good coach. Hopefully, Arthur Pappas is that to really guide him and make the most out of that raw talent. This season's going to be big for figuring out how good Arthur Pappas is. If Arthur Pappas is as good as this podcast is, thinks he is, because yeah. a lot of the Jets recruitment, we talked about this on the last show, the Jets recruitment has been very one note this mm-hmm. offseason. The nature of their recruitment has been very one note. Players maybe don't fit the system as well as they could. It'll be up to Pappas to coach this group up and deploy them in a manner that maximizes their strengths within his system whilst minimizing their weaknesses. Mm. I I actually really think Pappas could get the best out of Daniel Steins. I think he's a, he's a perfect kind of coach to potentially get the best out of a creative player like Steins who has shown glimpses of potential and could potentially fill a role uh, playing a bit further up as one of the, you know, as, as potentially as a 10 or if he's looking to play, you know, one of the double pivot a bit further up and, you know, let O'Neill kind of just sit in there and, you know, let Steins get forward. I mean, Callum Timmons is okay depth in that position. I think, you know, he's not terrible. I think he's all right. 
I mean, he had some moments at Perth, but he's a very similar player to Brent O'Neill. Like, if you want to retain possession, Callum Timmons is your guy. But is he going to be transformative? I think the jury's still out on that. So Daniel Steins, I like it a lot. Um, I think he can really develop under Pappas and become quite a handy player. Uh, this week it was the official confirmation. We kind of knew it was happening for a while, but Ben Halloran to Adelaide United. Uh, I've got to say, it's back over this Probably, probably that, best to lower this guy. Don't worry. Um, just you know, maybe good. That was time. that was from. Uh, if anyone's wondering what the hell happened there, that was Joey who uh, decided to play communist uh, propaganda music in the middle there and didn't fade it out slowly either. So some terrible production values from Joey there. But Joey, can you explain why uh, you're playing communist music on a Soviet Union national anthem on the uh, yeah. on the podcast? One because it's not going to get us copyright claims because you can't copyright claim a national anthem. <laughs> Two. Because it's the Marxist professor. It's Ben Halloran. He looks like a Marxist professor at a university course. Comrade Halloran is back wearing red he, in he the looked, A-League men. He looks less like a communist now. When he had the longer hair, it was more, and the bush Adelaide, was more. Adelaide leaned into it as well with their uh, announcement post about him being a Marxist professor as well with the graphic design. Didn't mind it. Didn't mind it. <laughs> I mean, um, as, from, from purely football standpoint, awesome yeah. signing, awesome yeah. signing. I, I I think this is a just, you know what? Like I I think he could be a player that might take Adelaide, you know, beyond a semi final appearance. I think he's that good. I think last year I lost a lot when he went out of the team, and I think as much as Bernardo showed a bit, um, you know, I know that Zach Clough looked pretty decent at Australia Cup game against the Jets. I think Ben Halloran is that guy that can really take us to that next level. And he offers so much on that right-hand side. So I am really excited to see how this plays out. I think it's a great bit of business for them. Um, Homer Legend asks uh, if there's been an update on Newcastle's ownership. It's been so long now. I believe there was an American consortium that was interested a while back, but no, I haven't heard anything uh, for a while. No, you guys nothing. heard anything? No, nothing new. Well, look, the Jets are box office. Hopefully someone wants to buy the box office. Uh, look, guys, I think that's pretty much it uh, for this week. Uh, unless unless there's the people's questions, this is the time oh, uh, to get it in. Yeah, quick go on. one. Quick yeah. one. I wanted to touch on these rumors because you brought it up in the group chat yesterday about it, and I think it's mm-hmm. only apt that we, we may as well touch on it because you said that you saw a rumor that Aiden Trustich is off to Serie A. Yes, yes, Alan Natara. And yeah, so uh, he's not been in any of the um, squads uh, that Eintracht Frankfurt have had so far this season. They've had a cup game. They've had a league game. He's not been involved at all. Now, some people are saying he has a hamstring industry. Uh, industry. Industry. Injury. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still jet-lagged uh, from Europe. Um, I haven't really seen that reported anywhere. Uh, I don't know where that has come from, uh, the hamstring inju- injury. Um, I have seen these rumors linking him uh, to a move to Serie A. So, look, obviously I would prefer him to stay with Frankfurt during the Champions League uh, this year. Um, you know, 
Salonataro were battling relegation last season. Um, it'd be cool to see him in Serie A, but you know, obviously when you go from a team in the Champions League to a team battling relegation, you know, it's never great. But he Can wasn't I just a starter with Frankfurt. Uh, so he need, yeah. if he could be a regular starter somewhere, that would be he, fantastic. He's my favourite player. He will play at Salernitana, I can tell you that, and he'll get licensed at Salernitana because he will be their guy. Their midfield is not great, I mean, putting yep. it bluntly. He'll be playing with Frank Ribery, which is pretty cool because yep. uh, he's the, obviously the captain of Salernitana. Um, I mean, you mentioned it, Stoll has been playing for a team that is battling relegation that survived last season on this incredible you know, run from nowhere under David and Nicola, who's almost just known as the survival expert. In Cedric, he's done it twice now with teams in those similar positions. But in terms of minutes, in terms of testing himself in a good league, I'm all for it. I think, it, it, honestly, even if he's only there for a season, say Salernitana go down, but he plays really well. His stocks are still going to go up because he's playing every week. He's playing in Serie He's getting his name out there. Um, it, it is a little bit disappointing that he's not going to, say, a more of a mid-table Serie side like you know, say not going to someone like Torin or Sassuolo. I mean, him playing for Sassuolo would be just a, a mind-boggling experience that I don't even want to fathom because it would just be... I get too excited thinking about the thought of Fristich playing for them. Um, but I think, honestly, playing for Salernitana, in terms of location, we spoke about it with Fabregas, playing in Salerno is right up there amongst one of the best experiences in, um, in Italy because you're playing with a really passionate fan base. And Salernitana, are, uh, before they were bankrupt in their, their former, you know, Salernitana, they're a historic club. They're a club that, you know, has been in Serie A a lot throughout the years and had a lot of financial hard, um, hard times and worked their way back up, um, you know. And playing in Salerno, which is a beautiful part of the world, I mean, south of Italy, beautiful weather, mm. You know, the way that the, the stadium is so close to the water, like, mate, like that is my dream. Like, I tell yeah. you what, like, honestly, playing, like you spoke about Fabregas playing for Como, mate, he wants to go play in Salerno. Beautiful. But yeah, purely football, he's going to play. Um, Salernitana don't have much of the ball, so he's going to probably be playing for a team that's going to play a lot off the break. Uh, so that'll be something to keep an eye on. But um, yeah, I think if, as long as he's getting minutes, it will certainly help, I guess, his stocks. But also be certainly good for you know us as a national team and him getting those regular minutes and playing every week. I think it's uh, I'm excited for it if it does happen. I would love to see him be on a more ball dominant team, like even Frankfurt. Uh, the very transition. It's all you know. It's Bundesliga. It's all kind of transitional based. So you know he's, he's so good on the ball that I'd love to see him kind of playing for a team that really likes to dominate and you know really maybe he's a bit slower. Uh, in possession. Uh, it's be interesting to see. But yeah, one to keep an eye on with Rustic, Eintracht Frankfurt uh, play the European Super Cup final on Thursday morning. Watch it on Stan Sport. Uh, um, but I don't, I believe he won't be involved in that, which is a shame because obviously he came off the bench in the Europa League final, scored the penalty. It was a great moment for him and, and a great moment for Australian football. And what a moment mm. it would be if he featured against Real Madrid uh, in that final. But it looks like at this stage he won't be featuring, whether that's because he has a hamstring injury. I will point out that uh, around August, a lot of players who are maybe negotiating a move seem to have injuries that keep them out of games and then they miraculously recover as soon as that as soon as they make the move or as soon as uh the transfer window shuts uh philip continues well, we'll back see. injury i remember a few years ago 
We'll see if uh, Cristiano Ronaldo uh, doesn't play yeah. tonight. And then if he makes a move in midweek and he's playing next week, the undisclosed injuries he's recovered from in time. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I think otherwise uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, Edmund Al Young is asking uh, Alex Parsons, Sydney FC. It seems to be that way. It seems the rumours are that. I think be He looked all right a couple of seasons ago. He had some yeah, decent I, moments. I like Alex Parsons, but there, it seems like um, – oh, actually, the, the one we should talk about is um, Sydney FC signing uh, that guy from Nottingham Forest. Uh, the English oh, Joe Lolly. Yeah, Joe Lolly. Uh, thoughts on that because – Bit of a, a bit of an interesting one, a bit of a different one. Uh, I mean, Josh was speaking about him like the second coming the other day. Um, Josh but, I Parrish mean, was pumping him up in the group. Oh, chat. mate, he was saying that this guy's a, a star, blah blah blah. But hey, look, you know what? He's has quite a decent. He had quite a decent run, Nottingham Forest in the championship. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, from his highlight reel, he looks pretty decent. He's still very good. Um, very 29, good. 29 years of age. He's still got some mm-hmm. football ahead of him. He's got a great story coming from, you know, semi-professional football to playing in the championship. He has a great character, which we know down here. We love a good character when they cut with our foreigners, especially we're seeing with Jason Cummings coming when he's made the move down and Charlie Austin as well, etc. So he provides some entertainment off the field. So, I mean... He could actually turn out to be a decent signing for him if it does happen. Yeah, absolutely. Joey, thoughts on that? No, I think it looks a decent signing. And some silly bugger on his Wikipedia page has already changed his current team to Sydney FC. Um, I don't think it's quite official yet, darling. But um, it, on, on a superficial level, it looks to be a good signing. This is a bloke that spent played a lot of football in the championship in recent years. He's still at a good age of just 29 years old. So, and potentially also he's a winger. So if he comes into that Sydney side and he gets deployed out wide, it could, you know, enable Max Burgess to kick back inside after starting early season on the wing, which we like to see. We were talking at length during the last campaign about what, about how well he operated as a central uh, as a central figure, particularly as a six or something like that. So it'd be great to see if they can get Lolly in. That opens up other opportunities around the park for people to do, which will be interesting. But uh, as an aside, I'm sure Sydney fans just also are desperate for their side to sign anybody. Mm. Um, at this point, we talk, like, we're talking about Corica's youth movement last week. It's not really a youth movement if you're forced into it. Well, maybe we can also now see if um, this Corica change that he's undergone this change in approach this change in mindset once he actually starts putting the pieces together how long does it last so uh, i think lolly will do well in the a league intrigued to see its impact on sydney fc if it does come about yep and i'll just say as a uh, local here in sydney uh the new stadium is looking really good i think it's basically uh, completed and ready to go and uh september is when we'll see the first games um how, so how how are the toilets looking so uh, that's a i don't know but I think that tweet will come back to haunt them uh, if they play like shit uh, all season, which they're pretty bad <laughs> last year. So there's a potential. But I still think Sydney FC. Like this is just my guess. I'm not. This is not information. This is just sensation, if you will. I still think Sydney FC will push for another big name marquee. Oh, they will uh, as a part of a way to fill the stadium. But I, um... it'd be interesting to see because you know we're starting to run out of time. 
Yeah, and I mean, the other thing to keep an eye on as well is the Alexander Priovich situation at Western United. Mm. You know, that's yeah. something as well we've spoken about at length because Western United might be in a similar boat if they lose Priovich. Uh, from what I understand, that there is almost a sense of resignation that he may be gone. Um, and they're going to have to scamper to bring someone else in. So um, in terms of, just in terms of the toilet style, I thought of a great content idea if you're the Western Sydney Wonders, right? So when it's the Sydney Derby, what they should do is... <laughs> now, this, is, this goes back to last week and we're talking about Marcelo, right? Now, <laughs> Marcelo had his farting and laughing, uh, you know, thing. They've got to do something around the toilets at SFS and Marcelo fighting and laughing. I think it'd just be hilarious. Yeah, I reckon. I reckon you got to get on that. Uh, I still. Yeah, this is why you're not in comms, heads. Nick Debano. No, 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 Debano. That's good shit. Don't worry. Don't, don't listen. Yeah, to you know what? Uh, say, Joey, I have some support. All right, like you know, yeah. stop, stop <laughs> more. You know, oh yeah, more you've, got, you've got you've got the bloke that advocated for the national team coach to wear a giant mask. <laughs> You're in real great company here. Do you know I've heard some feedback, Joey? There's so many people turning around saying, why was Joey so triggered by it when that new style was taking the piss? Like, why was Joey so triggered? And I'm like, mate, I, I don't know. I don't know. Did you not remember how tired and ruined I was from that show? Yes, um, I do. One one thing I'll say is that wouldn't it be better than, rather than appointing Ernie Merrick, if they just said, we have the disruptor. And he turned up at like every game, like the Stig, kind of in his disruptor uniform, just watching on. And every time the soccer is lost, it just cuts to the disruptor going like. What would what would be the uh, what would be the, the costume? Would it be like a big trench coat with like a mm. wide brimmed hat? Uh, you know, but you just don't see their face, and yeah. then eventually they build up to like you know a big soccer is on Matilda's game. It's like the face revealed. I think it's like if you can remember in the Simpsons uh, the episode where they ban alcohol in the town, and there's Rex Banner, and he's kind of <laughs> like kind of smoking in the in the corner like that. That's what I think the disruptor needs to kind of look like. Yeah, uh, a kind okay. of Rex Banner okay. type thing. Uh, guys, do you have anything to plug this week? Is there anything uh, to look forward to uh, from you guys, Joey? I'll have something in ESPN at some point, probably. <laughs> Mike, if you're watching, commission me for something. Um, as as that's funny, Joey, because literally, like yesterday when I was down in Geelong, uh, the Code Sports is Daniel Cherney actually asked me, he says, "Who is Joey writing for these days?" And I actually said, "Who isn't Joey writing for right now?" So there you go. That's a Joey's cheap plugs in the AFL media <laughs> box. Uh, yeah, if you want to go to the AFL website, go check out my uh, nine things we learned from the weekend uh, about Geelong St Kilda and read the match report. That's all I've got at the moment. Oh, and also. Uh, it, genuine point, NPL Victoria podcast this week, uh, full review coming out of the, the Doherty Cup final, as well as looking ahead to a massive second last weekend uh, in NPL Victoria down here with, you know, the, promo- the the finals race, the relegation battle, but also the promotion race in from NPL 2 into NPL 1 uh, with myself and uh, Lockie Feinig and Salby on FNR on Tuesday. So uh, keep an eye out for that and on the socials. So looking forward to getting into that. We'll touch on, if you want to find out a little bit more about those teams left in the Australia Cup as well, that's the place to be. Mm. Yes. So uh, check it out. Uh, check that out. That'll be really, really good. Uh, tune in next week. We'll be back same time, Sunday, 7.30. We'll be talking about all the Australia Cup games. There's a couple of Australia Cup games actually on that night. So we'll review all that. That'll be very exciting. We'll probably talk more A-League transfers and we'll talk about whatever else is happening. But and we'll, uh, yeah, and we'll have Vince Regario as he probably- Well, if he, if he sticks to his word. 
that's it. We'll have Vince Rigari on replacing Ante Jukic, who is still holding out for a Champions League level. And will uh, we have podcast. Josh Parrish? That's the question. Yeah. No, no ticket Parish. Yeah, Ante Jukic is holding out for a transfer oh. to the Gagan pod. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, look, yeah. guys. Thanks so much uh, for joining uh, us watching the thing. Uh, and we're just like, as we always say, thanks and success as we play out the, the final uh, closing segment. Thanks, success. We'll see you next week. 